What's going on, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. If this is your first time checking out the show, please feel free to let me know what you think about it. Uh, You can reach out in multiple different ways. You can leave a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts as well as a review. You can reach out to me on my social media, uh, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all the same annoying question boy, or excuse me, actually... I think that Twitter might, you still be able to find me, Annoying Question Boy. Annoying Question Boy is the old name of the podcast. It's very funny that I mentioned that by accident, but uh, it's In Defense of Liberation. You can check that out. Um, yeah, but, you know, you can also email me. You can uh, uh, reach out. It's In Defense of Liberation at gmail.com. No caps, no spaces there. And I really just wanted to mention off the top here that um, kind of coming into this episode a little bit like drained, but I had stuff that I wanted to talk about and I, I don't know if I don't like get the, get this shit off the top of my head, I just like go in loops with it all day. So that's why you have like a million fucking episodes from me is because I constantly have something that's on my mind, so I constantly have something I gotta talk about. But, you know, I wanted to mention that this is, a you know, a morning commute episode, which means that it's basically just stream of consciousness. Like, if you're not prepared for whatever rambles I'm about to go on, then this probably isn't the episode for you. You could check out some of my amazing episodes with guests like Henry Huckamacki, Zicado from Bands of Turtle Island, Elena from the Red Nation podcast, and plenty of others. Um, and you can also let me know your recommendations of what you know guests and what shows you think I should be listening to, I should be inviting on the show, or I should be trying to get on the show with. But anyways, folks, uh, that's about that. Thank you for tuning in. I hope everyone is well. Hope everyone is staying safe, staying healthy today. Um, I'd like to talk about a few different things that I have been uh, listening to, reading since yesterday, and uh, also bring up just kind of some other stuff that's been on my head. So, Jackie Lukeman and Sean Blackman always bringing the heat on that most recent episode of By Any Means Necessary. Uh, I just got to the part where they had started interviewing uh, Vijay Prashad, uh, and unfortunately, I like that was when I got home, and so that was when I shut the podcast off because I normally listen and listen to him while I'm driving, but um, I was able to. you know, really enjoy what they already had, you know, said up to that point. And, uh, I also, you know, really frequent that, that show. So I, I definitely, uh, will go back and listen to the rest of that. But I've also, uh, been checking out most recently hoodcommunist.org a lot. Um, I like honestly forgot they exist. I felt really bad, um, because I, when I first started, like becoming more of a like a revolutionary that's when I started like finding a lot of sources like hood communist um especially on social media like their their social media account attached to whatever work they do but and I just like have seven or eight news sources that I'm clicking through like every morning And I always forget to go to people's blogs and people's, like, you know, like, the website that Hood Communist does. Because, like, I don't know, I just kind of forget, like, I scroll through the news to get, like, the headlines and everything. And I forget how, like, entertaining and deep, uh, as well as very intellectual and educational, a lot of what uh, Hood Communist puts on their website 
is as well as you know uh other folks that do very similar work uh and, and you know types of blogs there's there's a bunch of um really revolutionary folks out there who you know because of the capture of mass media because of the you know way in which information is coerced and twisted and misused and ultimately how incredibly disconnected we are from you know the mainstream uh the main source of where all information and and global news and developments are coming from because we have to try to get them from news sources like msnbc and cnn and you know all these other news sources i was watching an interview with uh underground rt on youtube where this uh person was speaking about um houselessness and uh struggles that uh, black folks are dealing with in the united states and the guy that was interviewing him what like pointed out the fact that none of the news sources in the U.S. are are valuable at all. And of course, he's in the U.K. So I find that really funny because it's like to think about how, you know, other nations across the world think about the United States is so fucking depressing and hysterical because like it's, it's hysterical because you're like, yeah, yeah, see, they get it. And we're just a bunch of fucking pathetic losers here who half of us are convinced that what has been going on for the last 500 years is either okay or not, not okay. And the second, you know, it's depressing because it's like, well, fuck. They just look at us and just point and laugh and like, point and stare and point and like get confused and we're all just here and you know it sometimes puts into my frame of mind like how much more desperate the situation in the United States is than we commonly see it as because the pictures of the United States or the pictures that we have in our heads when we think about the United States, especially for those who grew up here and were propagandized to, um, you know, it can be this dreamlike idea of, uh, uh, you know, prosperity and, and success and wealth and, you know, shopping centers and food, uh, you know, restaurants and, like, chain stores and and banks and gas stations and you know grocery stores and just about everything that you could need you know there's a store for it and you can also get a lot of it online and we have this you know incredible mass base of consumerism that upholds this idea that you know the folks here on Turtle Island all are just basking in and enjoying this incredible wealth that exists within the borders of what we call the United States. But then there's those of us who, you know, grew up on Turtle Island, who lived the shit, who couldn't be, you know, necessarily convinced of the propaganda because, you know, you had to live a certain kind of life that made that propaganda completely obsolete. You know, if you're growing up non-white here in the United States and you're trying to be told that this is a fair country, that this is not a racist country, that the police do not attack and brutalize people based on the color of their skin, that people aren't mass incarcerated and, you know, put under pressure and under a microscope because of the color of their skin that's, you know, obviously not something you can always expect to believe because oftentimes folks have to endure a harsh reality that brings that into question and ultimately, you know, kind of breaks it down and shows how it's not true. 
if you're, you know, a non-man here in this uh, country and you're trying to be told that, you know, women are equal in the workforce and we're, you know, pro-LGBTQ plus rights and, you know, there's a progressive wave that's sweeping across the country. That's not true. Not only is it not true, it's actually the opposite. We actually see a heightening of the murders of black trans women here in the United States, which usually sits anywhere between 30 to 40 people a year, but has increased since, you know, the last few years of xenophobia and racism by different elected officials and news sources had really been doubled down on. You're also seeing an actual revocation of certain protections, rights, and uh, freedoms that, you know, non men um, and and non-white folks uh, were working for for countless decades and generations here that have been sweeped away in the last five to ten years. Um, A lot of this began during the early 2000s with a lot of the advancements in the central intelligence agencies and the further repression of the citizens within the United States of all, you know, walks of life, of all national and ethnic uh, backgrounds as a, a general line. But also, it has been because, and I'll, I'll bring up a few different sources to talk about this, but if you look historically at nations like Germany, Italy, France, Belgium, Poland, England, and then right here on what, you know, we call the United States, Canada, New Zealand, Australia. When you look at a lot of these white supremacist settler colonial nations, you see an inherent uh, flow which is honestly the best way I can describe struggle because you have this flow where you start at a certain level of relationship oftentimes of course as we know historically here in the United States white uh, land owning males um, start at the top everybody else finds their own slot further and further down the line If you start with that foundation, right, you're going to have an inherent struggle by people who are being oppressed and exploited to liberate themselves. Because no person, no living animal just allows themselves to be brutalized and murdered without fighting back and especially without fighting to survive I mean how can you consider in a nation that was founded on genocide of indigenous peoples any act of violence committed by indigenous peoples as violent and not self defense if Kyle Rittenhouse can get a self defense uh acquittal, then we must give, we the people must give the land defenders, the water protectors, and every other indigenous uh, activist and organizer that sits within those prisons, that sits within these jails, we better give them the exact same thing. And if we don't, if we do not see the same treatment being had by folks who have spent their entire existence, their entire lives on this earth under attack. If we cannot expect folks in that position to be given the human right to defend themselves and to fight for survival, then that is because the system is predicated 
on them not surviving, on an attempt to eradicate them. But they're still here because they have fought, because they have resisted, because people who are oppressed and exploited never stay so for long. If we look historically at nations that have this origin, we see an ebb and flow where once these people begin to resist, once these folks begin to fight back, there is an active reaction. It is not just indigenous, black, brown, and other folks, you know, fighting for their liberation and white people just going, okay, obviously not. That's why we have the largest police force. That's why we have the largest prison system. That's why we have the largest nuclear arsenal. That's why we have the largest military. Is because the ruling class that exists here within what we call the United States exists for the sole purpose of the exploitation of those people up until the point of death through any means of repression and suppression that are necessary and possible, whether legal or not, so that they can continue, they being the ruling class, to be in incredible amounts of power and control while also holding some of the most wealth and prestige that has ever been held by any ruling class ever in human history. What does happen when these people rise up when uh, resistance movements take place, when people's movements take place, the reactionary forces within society, so that can be anyone within the realm of the ruling class or someone who fights to defend the ruling class order. The reactionaries then, in that sense, oftentimes become solidified and organized in their understanding that these movements, whatever they are, we see slogans like mask mandates or mask mandates are are communism. We see, you know, slogans like uh, Black Lives Matter is communism. We see also an analysis of communism as an analysis of fascism here in the United States because our education system did not fail us was used to make it so that we fail ourselves we fail ourselves by not further understanding the true reality the material conditions that have existed here on Turtle Island and across the world for generations The reactionary forces then in that way, when we begin to take hold of that knowledge, when we begin to fight back and resist the current system, the reactionary forces, whether needing to be called on explicitly or not, come to the fore. They come to the fore and they kill. There is an explicit and intentionality, or excuse me, an explicit and intentional reason behind the fact that xenophobia, racism, transmisogyny, and other forms of not just simply and plainly discrimination in a purely uh, identity sense, but active forms of repression because of one's own identity, all of that has been on the rise for a reason. Because on the other side of things, people all across this country and all across the world have been rising up against this system, against these forms of white supremacy, against this oppressive ruling class, time and time again. And they have been told time and time again that if they just, you know, do it the right way, if you just vote, if you just help pass this legislation, if you just, you know, do this, that, and the third, we'll be golden. We'll be golden. Racism will go away because we have a black president. A black president whose father recently, I believe as of yesterday, was confirmed connected to the CIA as a person who was meant to recolonize Africa. To be able to help build the ties to recolonize Africa. We say, oh, we'll, we'll throw a woman in office too. You know, that's, that's how we'll solve the uh, inequality between gender and sexes. 
is uh, we'll put Kamala Harris in fucking office. Or, you know, we'll praise Hillary Clinton all throughout 2016, even though we won't give her the fucking ticket. And, it, you know, it kind of looks like these motherfuckers are about to run her again. Uh, and we'll, you know, we'll be told to vote for her or whoever the Democratic Party puts up. We'll be called separatists. We'll be called radicals. We'll be called, you know, uh, every name in the book for not, you know, calling on people to demand that we elect the Democratic candidate. But if we get to a point where we time and time again do not see ourselves represented on the ticket, on the ballot, or in Washington, D.C., then why do we keep voting? Why do we keep participating in these forms of election that do not offer us anything? Uh, George Jackson brings up in his Blood in My Eye that electoralism almost becomes null and void. In, and I'll explain more in, in total afterwards uh, about the context in which he's speaking. But elections become null and void after the onset of monopoly capital. Because after the onset of monopoly capital, where one nation or several nations control the industry, the imports, the distribution, the labor forces, the resources, the markets, the militaries, the police forces, and the governments of nations all across the world through their export of what is called finance capital and through their import and theft of all the resources, labor forces, markets, and, you know, governments that they can, they can steal. How is it in that scenario, especially here within the imperial core, that we expect that we're going to be able to elect someone that is going to break that system down from within the positions and within the halls of power that have been crafted specifically to further develop that imperialism so that the imperial core nations can continue to benefit from it. You're just plainly not going to see, you know, George Jackson says, every, it's difficult to expect that people are going to vote when every candidate that they have is a fascist. And I say fascist to mean fascist because fascism in this way, I don't think needs to be fully understood in one sense. I think when George Jackson points out that fascism has three forms uh, before it's in power, disorganized, you know, disconnected, when it's vying for power, when it's at its most uh, brutal and reactionary in a lot of cases, and when it's uh, systematically in power, when it allows for, you know, certain forms of uh, uh, resistance, certain forms of, you know, liberalism, this is fascism all in all. So to say that fascism fascism is just what happened in Nazi Germany at a certain point in Nazi Germany's development, or fascism is just Benito Mussolini, or just, you know, um, folks throughout Latin America that committed acts of genocide against the indigenous peoples like, you know, Jair Bolsonaro. Uh, to, to say that these are fascists and, and, and my description of the Democratic Party is not, is childish because you know what the Democratic Party is actively doing? It's actively helping to lead a nation that has 25% of the world's prison population, many of whom are imprisoned for the simple act of either speaking up and fighting back against the system or plainly not being able to exist within the system. Because if you are impoverished, if you are exploited, if you are oppressed, there is a certain likelihood that you will have to do things that are considered (coughs) committing crimes because you plainly do not have other forms of survival. And since instead of taking food or housing or clothing and making these things natural human rights that we have a shit ton of and we should pass between the people and redistribute among the masses, 
We instead lock them up in stores that have, you know, security cameras, that have cash registers, and uh, we say, you know, $9.99, sir, or $24.99, miss, you know what I'm saying? And uh, then we expect that people are just not going to steal that shit. And then when they do, they're blamed. Do you see what I'm saying here? You also got a Democratic and a Republican Party, which have actively been trying to amass a larger uh, immigration force, as well as a larger border wall, so as to keep the thousands and thousands of migrants that they themselves are creating from coming into the borders of their nations. What else do you call that other than fascist? What else do you call a system that tells its children that Thanksgiving was a holiday where the indigenous peoples came together with the settlers and shared food with one another and broke bread and were kind and considerate and nobody did anything to anyone? What kind of country, what kind of nation, what kind of government do you call it when it tells children that all they'll have to do for the rest of their life is just compete with every other working class person, fight for their entire existence by working every single day of their entire life and hoping in that way that if they work hard enough, they won't starve to death. What do you call a country like that? Gives kids hundreds of thousands of dollars of loans and debt at a very young age that essentially turns them into indentured servants for the rest of their life. What do you call that other than fascist? I'm also reading this book by this guy, Jason Stanley. It's called How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them. And I will say personally, uh, just to be truly transparent with you, I disagree with some of what he has said to this point. Um, George Jackson makes a really clear point in one of his letters to Jonathan uh, about the fact that to look at the common definition of fascism, we might actually instead get an understanding of certain communist and socialist parties and revolutions. You know, things that focus on this idea of a one-party system or things that focus on a lack of political, you know, uh, diversity. And... uh, You know, this idea that a fascist government is one that punishes its enemies. I mean, I got a lot of willpower and a lot of want to punish our enemies. I got a lot in my mind to think that we can only have one party that is the proletarian party under a socialist system. Because, you know, although we might have groups and and factions within the class... The class itself needs to be transformed into a mass organization of sorts. Because that's the only way that we can really have, like, the strongest and most meaningful political party is just having it be the fucking people. But not just people who don't know what the fuck's going on. People who have been given revolutionary and radical ideals and history as well as a tool belt full of the, you know, skills, ideas, and knowledge necessary to be able to change the very material reality around them. If we are able to have a citizenry, you know, an entire country made up of people like that, and we are able to amass a force which is capable of seizing political power from the ruling class, why then do we turn around and give the ruling class the opportunity to just come back and take it from us? So... George Jackson's analysis of fascism is a little bit more centered on the uh, U.S. settler colonial state because he is a, you know, a prisoner within these uh, borders. So, you know, if we look at countries like, uh, and I'll, I'll say this and then I'll bring it back to my original point because I just want to, I want to put an asterisk here. When we're talking about electoralism, when we're talking about, you know, leading a struggle, we also have to look at Global South countries a little bit differently because, you know, countries like Nicaragua, Venezuela, Bolivia, they have open elections. And they do this because when nations like Vietnam, uh, North Korea, uh, Cuba didn't, that was one of the ways in which the global capitalist and imperialist powers attacked, you know, constantly the socialist uh, powers and, and 
the revolutionary people of these countries. And it led to, as we are seeing today, a complete misunderstanding of fascism, of democracy, of power, and of, you know, revolution. We think that a revolution is going to come through all different means except for violence. We think that revolution is going to come through all different means except for the ways that it has successfully led to the change of material conditions for people who have participated in revolutions historically. We have anarchists, leftists, social democrats, conservatives, liberals. We have everyone except for the communists and socialists telling you that revolution is bad, that revolution is not the way to do it, that if we have a revolution, people are going to die, that if we have a revolution, exploited and oppressed people are going to die, that if we have a revolution, things are just going to get so worse. If we have a revolution, people are going to be poorer than ever. They're going to be more exploited than ever. People will tell you from every walk of the political life except for revolutionary communists that revolution is not the way. They'll tell you it's authoritarian. They'll tell you it's top-down. They'll tell you it's bureaucratic. They'll tell you it's dictatorial. Well, I got something to tell you. It sure as hell is authoritarian. Sure as hell it's dictatorial. Look at the fact that countries like Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Bolivia have consistently been stopping forms of reaction, violence, and attack on their governments because the people themselves have helped them. Look at the fact that one year, one year after a violent coup overthrew an elected government in Bolivia, Luis Arce, the MAS party, and the masses of people within Bolivia overthrew the coup. Look at the fact that in places like, you know, North Korea and Vietnam and China, look at how the people have stood behind the revolutions. Look at how in Cuba and in, you know, uh, places all over the world, the masses of people themselves are the very participants who really build the base to the revolution. And I'm not even talking here about ideas like a cultural revolution. I'm talking about the fact that, hey, if you want to have housing, if you want to have food, if you want to have clothing for your people, folks got to grow it, build it, and make it. So if that's the case, then they got to have some kind of incentive to do so. And socialism, somehow, some way, has been able to get the masses of people to do what is necessary to help one another in a way that this pandemic the ongoing economic crises, climate collapse, uh, systematic racism, systemic uh, oppression and discrimination and exploitation have not. So if that's the case, then maybe there's something to this socialism. And maybe if this type of socialism means that we get on top of our former oppressors and we don't let them budge, we don't let them go anywhere and we make them work for us, then guess what? Maybe it's dictatorial. But if it's dictatorial, in a sense, by the many over the few, instead of what we have now, which is a dictatorship of the few over the many, how can we consider this the same? You got all these fucking anarchists and all these other people who just go on and on and on about tankies this, tankies that. All these Marxists, oh, they want to kill me. Oh, this is what has happened historically to anarchists. You know what anarchists have done historically? Fought against the revolution time and 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 time again in uh, Russia, in Spain, in China, in Vietnam, in Cuba, in Nicaragua, in Venezuela, in the United States, in Mexico, anarchists who feel that any type of communism, especially the ones espoused by the global south uh, masses of people themselves, is not an acceptable form of, you know, ruling and and, uh, social development, then what ends up happening more often than not is there is just more people on the dog pile trying to take down these nations. So when I hear people just constantly focusing on this fact that they have a disinterest in communist, uh, you know, politics and theory because it's uh, authoritarian or it's never worked or it's led to the death of anarchists and stuff like that. It just 
frustrates me because you're so close. You're so close to understanding how freedom, liberation, and true, you know, uh, egalitarianism can come to the fore. But you stop at the point where you actually get power for yourself. You stop at the point where you actually encourage and embolden yourself enough to take your destiny, your resources, and your communities into your own hands. And you also, in that way, allow for exploited and oppressed people to continue to be exploited and oppressed because you are not willing to take the steps that are historically and scientifically proven to be necessary in order to end these forms of oppression and exploitation at their root. And that, my friends, is something that I really can't do anything about. I can't convince you otherwise. I can't make anybody think the way I do. But I can come on here and present facts and information in the way I see it and discuss the fact that right here and right now in the United States, there is a need for a revolution. Right here, right now within, you know, North America, there are countless forms of oppression and exploitation, division, suppression, and just outright attacks that require one solution and one solution only can only be solved by one thing revolution now let's talk about this a little bit more and see if maybe you won't agree so let's double back to some of the ongoing movements that are occurring across this country right now i mentioned hoodcommunist.org earlier at the top of the show they wrote an article that I read this morning that I found really interesting called, well, interesting in the sense that like, it it brought up really good points and showed clearly that there's a lot that we need to do. Uh, It says, it's titled, How to Withstand the Neo-Fascist Conquest of Power. Now, again, a lot of folks do not agree with or don't like this use of the word fascist to describe the ongoing circumstances and situation here within the United States. Ultimately, I would like to say quite sincerely that uh, I don't think that it's worth my time to sit here and try to argue the fact. I think that uh, allowing the United States to do what it does best uh, will continue to uh, put this point forward. Um, Anybody who saw that huge police march in New York City and is still trying to tell me that this country isn't a fascist police state obviously is not paying attention to the same things that I'm paying attention to or doesn't have the same frame of reference and type of analysis that I do. So in that way, again, not really uh, the best use of my time or your time to try to sit here and argue with people who would rather spend time arguing than doing anything about it. Um, But anyways, I, uh, I find that the existence of the far-right groups uh, that really have such a huge base here in the United States and their current, you know, rise to popularity again and their current uh, intensification of violence and attacks on uh, people across the country, I personally don't feel that you can really call this anything other than fascism without kind of being a fascist apologist. Uh, But, you know, that's neither here nor there, because uh, at the end of the day, again, I'm not here to change your mind. I'm just here to talk. So these ongoing movements within the United States need to be understood, because if we understand them, if we understand what their root cause is, we understand what groups are at play, who is involved, and if we also find out, you know, how they build their strength, what their ideology is based on, who their main groups that they're recruiting are, we can kind of double our own efforts to be able to cut that off, to be able to point out the contradictions between what they're trying to convince people of, or even in some cases where people are you know, more centrally located in very vast uh, and and reactionary places of uh, living, we might also take the time to try to organize with these folks, not as they are, you know, as fascists, but maybe, you know, understanding that working class white people 
are not all inherently fascist until their, uh, you know, identity is weaponized as such. Because, <clears throat> again, obviously, in a white supremacist nation, it is far easier to convince a white uh, working class male that they're, <clears throat> you know, they need to join alongside these groups of white dudes that are trying to take society back for them than it is to try to convince a, you know, a black trans woman or um, basically anyone else except for a white man or a white woman. Because of that, we have to understand then that really we have a lot of work to do because these groups of people are actively being organized they're actively being spoken to on just about every news source. Their fears and their concerns and their worries are actively being fed. We got, you know, TV shows that are just about catching terrorists and just about stopping crime. And you go on any of these TV shows, or excuse me, any of these TV channels, and they have, like, fucking 15 different cop shows. Um, and it sucks because, you know, not for nothing. Like, I grew up watching these shows. I've recently watched that show Bones. And, like, yo, fucking some of these shows, they got good characters. They draw you in emotionally. But that's the point. I've been watching that show Bones now for, like, a few months and one thing that I've noticed is, holy shit, stuff that Ramiro points out on his show where he talks about how propaganda is used, the music that they use to be able to make you feel sad or angry or relieved when they finally kill the bad guy or lock him up. Or, you know, you feel bad for Detective Booth because he's kicked off of the FBI force or whatever. And it's like, that's not unintentional. Like the fact that that is most of our media, the fact that most of our entertainment is like either shit like that or, you know, uh, Fox News. I mean, really genuinely, every form of entertainment that is mainstream here in the United States is gross, whether it's, you know, based solely on like mass consumerism or whether it's like based on, uh, watching people hurt themselves, like shows like Wipeout and others so that they can make money so that they can pay off student loans or like pay their mothers or parents or significant others medical bills or their own. Like that's sadistic. That's fucking dystopian. But it's also not dystopian because it's it's capitalism. Like it's here. It's not some crazy fantasy world it's what we live every day like i hear a lot of people saying the pandemic or like uh a lot of people talking about how uh folks over in china right now who are doing the olympic games while the pandemic is still going on like there was that one really popular photo of the bartender mixing the drink in the hazmat suit and uh, I forget who it was, some American athlete posted it and was like, this is dystopian. What's dystopian is thinking that you, first of all, in the middle of a global pandemic as a uh, foreign national ought to come into a country and expect them to, you know, put their own safety and their own well-being at risk for your, you know, comfortability. Like, I don't really know what else to say other than the fact that, like, we're in the middle of a fucking pandemic. What do you expect? Of course it's dystopian. They're not doing anything about it, and we all keep dying. 900,000 plus have died. We got millions of confirmed cases. And New York State, right now, today, hello, this day, and I'm while well, I'm at work, will be the first day since they lifted the mask mandate. What the fuck is going on, people? You want to tell me that there's nothing to be done, that we can't do anything, that the working class isn't ready, that we can't organize? You want to tell me that this country is not fascist, that this country is not under a dictatorship of these ruling classes who want nothing more than to watch us all die, work ourselves to death, 
commit ourselves to indentured slavery and student loans and all kinds of forms of, you know, uh, exploitation that should have been ruled out in feudal medieval times, but still persists to this day, like forced labor camps, like, you know, uh, extremely disgusting forms of uh, sexual trafficking and uh, prostitution, all these different ways in which domestic laborers are actively, you know, exploited and taken advantage of, all these different things, what do they add up to? What do you call this? Sure, we can call it capitalism. We can call it fascism. We can call it a lot of things. But once we're done calling it, once we're done pointing this shit out, what are we doing? What are we doing? I keep trying to stress to myself, to you folks, that this podcast is not it. It can't be it. We have to do so much more than listen to or record podcasts. We have to do so much more than read or talk about books. We got to do so much more, y'all. We got so much to do. And like, I'm not trying to put anybody's chest in their stomach or any further down, you know, I'm not trying to make anybody nervous or anxious or throw anybody for a loop. But when we look at the fact that like, the Proud Boys, the KKK, three percenters, all these different neo-Nazi groups, all these different, uh, you know, white supremacist groups, all these different pro-police movements are killing people. They're killing people in prison. They're killing people on the streets. They're killing people who otherwise would, you know, maybe not necessarily be so committed to this idea that capitalism and the way things are today is the way things they ought to be. But because of this system and because of how they're propagandized to, because of how they're taken advantage of, they fall victim to its, to its misinformation. And they take it up as themselves, you know, lynch laws and lynch mobs throughout uh, the period after Reconstruction was written about by Ida B. Wells as a form of, you know, unwritten white code. Uh, folks like uh, George Jackson, like uh, Jay Sakai, like Gerald Horn, like Nick Estes, um, and plenty of others have pointed out that the underwritten law that exists here in the United States is one of white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism. So because of that, we see nothing but support and brutal violence that is enacted in order to continue this system going the way that it is. But this system is killing people, y'all. This system is murdering people on a daily basis, murdering people within the borders and murdering far more across the world. Everything that we have, everything that you consume, everything that you wear, everything that you, you know, touch was made by someone who probably can't afford to buy it themselves in a country where they probably can't get any food, uh, you know, provided at, at a rate, a consistency and a, uh, you know, availability that makes it so that they can eat uh, three healthy square meals a day, or at least something that is going to keep them from being mal, uh, becoming malnutritious, um, or falling to malnutrition, however the fuck it's proper to say that, trying to open this bread thing without it being loud. But like, we have to do something. We have to be organizing. We need a force. We, had, we need a militant self-defense force that can protect people from right-wing violence. We need a militant mutual network between people who can help provide food, shelter, clothing, and anything necessary whenever it is necessary to the people who need it the most. We don't need to keep building these small political parties yeah, they're necessary. Join one that already exists. Try to make it into something worth joining, you know, and if you can't join another, but stop just trying to stop thinking that you got it better than everybody else. Stop thinking that you know better than everybody else. That shit's coming to me too. Like I got to look myself in the eyes and say that shit sometimes because 
you know, when you get all focused in these books, when all I can do is sit here and read most of the time, I get this romanticized idea that I'm the people in the books. And because I read the book, I would do it the way that they did it. And I would do it right. And everybody else wouldn't. So they got to follow me and they got to listen to me. But I don't know shit. I'm still learning. I'm still organizing. And you got to be doing the same. Because right now we got to understand, folks, that even if you are not under explicit attack, people are. Even if you yourself are not explicitly under attack, people are. We have to do something. Organizing is difficult, right? There's a lot to be done, but there's a few things we can start with. We can start with getting connected with one another. I talk about that all the time. Email people. Dude, I've been kind of sad, so I've been posting on my channel that, like, you know, I'm upset because I email all these folks and nobody gets back to me. I don't really think I should keep up with that because it's kind of discouraging, I think. But it, it does serve the purpose of helping people to understand that, like, I'm, I'm not trying to build clout, you know. I'm not trying to say, oh, I, was, I did an episode with so-and-so or I was on so-and-so show. Like, I want to build these connections because, one, I'm fucking depressed. I am so depressed and so isolated, and, and I need people to talk to. I also want to build these relationships because otherwise – I'm just going to keep learning out of books. And I don't think that that's the best source always for all of your information. Because once that shit is in a book and we tell ourselves, well, it's in a book, so it's got to be right. We almost stop ourselves from doing anything to test that knowledge unless we are actively committed to these ideas, which I am trying to be. But I would be so much better prepared. I would be so much better uh, capable of doing these things if I had people who had experience who were doing the same thing and who wanted to help helping me and us helping each other, you know, and working together and building a deeper connection and uh, teaching each other and learning from each other as well. Um, we need that at a mass scale though. So starting with those relationships for the purpose of building mass organizations that are intent on uh, supplying the people with knowledge, tools, weapons, and training to uh, build a proletarian revolution. Um, on top of that, we need to also be finding ways to impact the contradictions and forms of oppression and exploitation that exist today while not necessarily having explicit power. That is the theory of what Lenin calls dual power, and other people have developed into other ideas. People have taken it certain ways and try to uh, create certain forms of power through developing things like people's bazaars or uh, public health clinics or uh, uh, co-opted uh, or excuse me um, uh, co-operated co um, stores and, and banks and schools and stuff or you know uh, like the Black Panther Party started out as a uh, police monitoring and self-defense network or, you know, what I'm doing here in uh, the community fridge and, and uh, you know, the tenant organizing and the uh, podcast and mass education and unionization efforts. Like, we have to start with the things that are right there in front of us and use them as a means to try to impact or solve the problems uh, temporarily so as to get people to understand that they even are problems, to get people to understand why they're problems, where they're stemming from, and what's going to keep them going, and showing people that when they take power, these issues go to the wayside, unless they continue to push for these things to continue. And so in that way, we have to also remember that we have to build our organizations not simply against something, but for something. That something for me is scientific socialism, is... Uh, all people's liberation, all power to the people, as well as, you know, building a uh, economic model, a uh, national and international uh, uh, form of connection that is trying to develop for the purpose of eradicating inequality, eradicating uh, exploitation, and building a society on
egalitarianism and redistribution of wealth and socialism, socialism, socialism. So in closing, folks, um, join a revolutionary party. Short of that, uh, develop mutual aid networks in your area. Short of that, do temporary forms of assistance like drop-offs of clothes or, you know, random food giveaways or fundraisers. Short of that, send emails and build relationships and connections with all of the organizations in your area, even, you know, tangentially, like, so that you know each other. So if anything ever comes up, you have someone that you can contact for things like, you know, uh, legal rights or uh, learning about political situations or uh, having demonstrations or passing food around, you know, getting food to people. But also remember that we need armed self-defense networks against the reactionary forms of violence that are killing people daily. I'm thinking here of Amir Locke, who was 22, who, you know, because he uh, was alone, unfortunately, and because he picked up a gun, he was seen as a threat and he was killed. But what do you think he thought of the police? You think he thought they were a threat? Yeah. And you think he picked up his gun just so he could kill him because he's a crazed maniac? No. Amir Locke was half asleep. He was just awoken. He didn't have his finger on the trigger and he kept his barrel pointed down at the ground. That is way more gun discipline than 90% of these police officers have, obviously, because it's also been 10 plus years since Trayvon Martin's killing. It's been two years since the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. It's been many years since the killing of, you know, folks like Michael Brown and others who were killed by reactionary forces who were given the means to commit violence by any means necessary. And the ability to do so by a state and state with a capital S, state meaning an organized force of violence and an organized form of repression by one class for another. Um, I think, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, This state exists because of this oppression and these forms of oppression exist so that the state can continue to exist in the way that it does. So I will finish with this, my friends. We must build a revolution and we must build it here on Turtle Island. We must connect with the movements and people that are already actively building. We must connect with the free Leonard Peltier movement. We must connect with the end line three and end line five movements. We must connect with indigenous peoples in general. We must connect with the Black Lives Matter, Black Liberation, anti-police brutality movements. We must connect with the self-defense networks and mutual aid groups that are connected with these movements. We must connect with the political parties and the, uh, the uh, political groups that are trying to vie for power and find whether or not we can work together, work along with one another, or have to work against one another. We have to find out this and everything, everything through doing, through acting, and through building. After we get these connections, we have to turn these connections into opportunities. We have to turn these opportunities into success, and we have to turn this success into a revolution. We have a lot to do. We have a lot to build, but it starts somewhere. It starts at the grassroots, and it starts with you and me and the masses of working people ourselves. So let's get it organized, folks. Let's get it moving because we're not starting from the beginning. We're not starting from scratch. Like I said, there's people already doing this. There's people already building these movements. So find them, join them help them, and help build them. I hope everyone is staying well and safe. I hope the episode was good and enjoyable. Please let me know what you think about it. Let me know if you disagree with any of it. Let me know if you feel any uh, concerns about what I had to say, or let me know if you have anything more to comment on. I hope to see uh, you know everybody getting organized and see this movement come to the fore soon because... Um, It's time. It's always been time. There's never been a time that it wasn't time. Because since the very first day that Europeans and settlers set foot on this land and other lands across the world, oppression, exploitation, 
and destruction of the globe has been ongoing and has been resisted. We live in a class society where it is based on the separation between those who have power and those who have none, those who have wealth and those who have none, those who have homes, food, and clothing, and those who have none. In that way, we must understand that there is a not only righteous in the most revolutionary sense, but a correct and ultimate necessity for revolution and revolutionary socialism. So anyways, folks, long live the revolution. We'll speak soon. Peace.